Welcome to the Cocktail Guru Podcast. A show about food, drink, and entertainment. With a tight focus on the good life. And all things delicious, luxurious, and fun. I'm Jonathan Pogash, bartender, author, TV personality, and founder of The Cocktail Guru. And I'm Jeffrey Pogash, wine and spirits professional, author, insatiable collector of culinary ephemera, and so people tell me, an engaging raconteur. And my dad. Uh, Good afternoon, Father. Good afternoon, Jonathan. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's, an, it's another beautiful day in the suburbs another here. Day, another cocktail, uh, another background. You've got a different background. You're trying out. Yes, I do. It's well. We this is our second season, brand new season. Yeah. We have a brand new subject that we are discussing today for yes. the very first time, which I'm excited about, and we're giving mm. our listeners what are you drinking? and our viewers a little hint. I'm drinking a double espresso martini mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. which is a, a bit of a hint oh, about the next so my, subject. So my, you want to hear what, what's in my double espresso martini? Mm-hmm. So first of all, uh, I have Van Gogh double espresso vodka. Wow. Which actually, you know, all of these, all of these coffee products would not be around without the guests that the guests that we'll be bringing out actually, um, or as popular. I also have, this is a local uh, coffee syrup right here in South Dartmouth, Massachusetts. I love yep. plugging local family-owned company. It's called Morning Glory Old Fashioned Coffee Syrup. You should look them up. It's delicious. And coffee syrup is huge around here, Southeast Massachusetts, you know? Um, yep. And I have I have that in my refrigerator at all times. I also, I I also have, added yeah. a, a little splash of port wine um, mm. into my double espresso martini. It's really good. Excellent. Great choice. Well, this gives our listeners and viewers a bit of a hint uh, about our next guest, because this is a very special day for me, because the the guest that we are about to introduce was responsible for changing my life, at least when it wow. comes to this particular. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. He changed my life when it comes to came to my perception. What about of, your kids? Did your kids my, not my perception your- of my kids, my perception of of something oh. that's very important to all of us that most of us cannot do without in the morning hours of the day, and that is coffee. The subject is oh, not kids, yeah. coffee. Okay, right. Yes. No, I thought and, I, uh, I, I was talking about things that have changed your life. Um, well, yes, my your birth <laughs> changed my life. And what's interesting, funny you should bring that up, yeah. because my meeting this particular guest came at about the same time that you were born. Oh. Yeah. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was the same year, as a matter of fact. So that makes it even more special because we're doing this episode together. Um, Our guest is someone known and revered throughout the coffee industry. Um, He received, and if you had any doubt, just the fact that he received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Specialty Coffee Association, which is really the Oscars of the coffee industry, should make you fully aware of how important this gentleman is. He is um, he but, is the Tom Hanks of coffee, I would say. Well, <laughs> um, I might even go beyond that. Oh. But what's what's interesting is that when I started working in 1977, one of my major stops, uh, I was 
trying to sell wine to different stores and restaurants throughout the United States. But one of my first stops and one of my favorite stops was Boston. So I used to spend a lot of time in an area called Cambridge and Harvard Square in particular. Why? Because it was a student hangout. It was a cool place. It was a hip place. It was a place where I could really relax from the stresses of having to deal with wine shop owners and restaurants. Although I loved working in the Boston market. It was one of my favorite places in the entire country. So as I was doing that, I encountered one day a place called the Coffee Connection. And the Coffee Connection is was a shop, a cafe, where you could sit down, relax, and have wonderful coffee. What was life-changing during those Coffee Connection experiences was the fact that it wasn't just regular coffee that I was drinking. It was single varietal coffee, single origin coffee. I mean, an incredible array of finely crafted, finely roasted, and perfectly brewed coffee. This was uh, something that I had rarely experienced, if ever. We can talk about a place that I did go to back in Berkeley, California, um, quite a while ago, and that was even before I met our next guest, but that's another subject for another time. So this experience with coffee started changing my life, and then a year or two after I discovered the Coffee Connection, a mutual friend of ours introduced me to our next guest, and that really changed my life. He happened to be the owner of the Coffee Connection, so we met We got along quite well, and he was kind enough to invite me to his roasting facility and then arranged to organize a coffee cupping for me. And that's when I started tasting all kinds of exotic, what was then exotic and still exotic and wonderful coffees like Ethiopian coffee, Brazilian coffee, Costa Costa Rican Laminita coffee, all kinds of wonderful Dad, things. I hate yes. I, I hate to cut you off with the soliloquy, but I really, really want to bring on our guest. Well, I want to as well. Okay, let's but bring let, one let's bring him on uh, right after this. If you're into swag as much as we are, then look no further than our cocktail guru shop. The items in our store have been personally chosen with care by me, Jonathan, and my team of cocktail gurus. A water bottle with a stainless steel straw? We've got that. T-shirts? Mm-hmm. Hoodies, snapback hats, signed copies of Mr. Boston Bartender's Guide, uh, cocktail box kits, bar tools, more. Way more. You bet. We've even managed to create a onesie for that mocktail lover in your family. Head on over to shop.thecocktailguru.com and use code GURU22 for 10% off your first order. That's shop.thecocktailguru.com, 10% off with code GURU22. Cheers. Okay, we're back. Great. There's one more thing I'm going to say before we bring on our guest, and that is that among, among his many, many achievements, he is responsible for creating a product that all of America knows well, and, and I would say probably the rest of the world as well. 
And that is a product called, that is, wow, world-renowned, called the Frappuccino. Wow. Next, yeah, that's right. And our next guest is Mr. George Howell. George, welcome. I mean, I just can't go, I have to go on and on. I can't say enough about you, but we're going to have to let you speak and talk about what it is you are up to these days. Um, welcome, George. Thank you. Um, yeah, so um, a correction. Well, I have to say first, um, so when I changed your life with with coffee, uh, you essentially became woke. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> That's that's right. Oh God! That's yeah. right. I became one. I, I've God. never I've never heard my dad use that word before. <laughs> There's always a moment. <laughs> it, irks, it irks me a little bit. It is irksome. Uh, so in any case, um, yeah, I have to correct you on the frappuccino, or at least give give a, a full version of what that really entailed, right? Sure. Um, sure. There was back in the early days, uh, several years before we came out with Frappuccino, um, there were people writing about iced cappuccino. Right. Uh, and putting putting it in a granita machine uh, and serving it. And uh, Ted Lingle, uh, who was the director uh, of uh, the Specialty Coffee Association of America, did a test uh, at the Los Angeles um, uh, Olympics, which I think was in 1986 or 84, but somewhere in there. Uh, and uh, he served that, that beverage, which was at that time, I believe, iced cappuccino. I was mm-hmm. really, it struck me as being a real potential in terms of popularity. Um, later I went to, to Seattle and visited various cafes there and came upon the very same product being produced in a, in a Granita machine. It's a simple ah. formula of, uh, right. very powerful coffee, really intense, uh, m- uh, milk and sugar. That's it, right? Those are the three things mm-hmm. that went mm-hmm. into it. I came sure. back and we created our own version of that with those three ingredients only. Uh, and, uh, and Andrew Frank, my marketing guy came up with the name Frappuccino. The minute he said it, we knew that was the name, right? Now I have, I have a quick, I have a quick question, George. We always, we always ask all of our guests, uh, when they come on, what is your desert Island drink? And I think it seems that you're drinking it right now. Oh yeah. (laughs) Possibly black coffee. Black coffee. Black coffee. Yeah. Okay. Good. Fine, finally crafted black coffee. Uh, yeah, uh, truly. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and then it can it can really be one from Kenya or Guatemala or whatever. It depends precisely on how finely crafted it is and how well. Now I wanted to go is, back right? to the I wanted to go back to the frappuccino thing because uh, the actual drink and the word itself yeah. um, makes me think of. The frappes that that yeah. you'd have in Greece. Well, that's what um, Andrew picked up on. That's exactly okay. why he came up with the name frappuccino, right? Right. And I love those. Oh my gosh! Whenever I, we, I've been to Greece a couple of times, but they're uh, so delicious. Well, that, yeah, exactly. Well, but they use but they use instant coffee. I think right. They use like a Nescafe, probably. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know that it was Greek, but I do know that the word frap or frappe right. in French 
is a New England term, a term used throughout New England. When I was a kid going to camp, right. we used to go out to restaurants and order frat with, with coffee, I, with coffee, ice cream, and coffee syrup and milk. Well, I don't know exactly. if the, the ones we had had coffee. I don't know, but uh, but, do, but we were in in Maine, and everywhere we went, there were fraps. To to just finish the story on frappuccino. So when Starbucks bought the Coffee Connection in 1994, when we had approximately 23 cafes, uh, they of course then purchased the frappuccino along with that. Right. Mm -hmm. So they got the name. But there were two people apparently in L.A. doing their own beverage that they were creating with and it had no name that had cocoa mixed in with coffee. And that Mm -hmm. was done in a blender, not a Mm -hmm. granita type machine. Right. And so they named that Frappuccino. Right. So it's very similar in texture to it. But it gave you the impression of being handmade. Of course, you know, depends what you call that, because, of course, you're using a, uh, uh, a dust. A, um, you know, it's a already right. a, it's a made product, right, that's going in. And, and it's an instant type coffee, right? Presumably with uh, put, throwing it in the blender as opposed to a granita machine, you're diluting it maybe a little bit more. If it's not in the necessarily blender, so, or no, 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 because no, they're using an extract, right? Well, that's been turned into important? a powder, uh, and that's going in along with the cocoa. Uh, so, but it's it's a very different flavor. Uh, I don't like it anywhere near as much. That's personal, right? But uh, mm-hmm. so, in any case, just to clarify that. Well, that's great. Yeah. But what's important to me is not so much the formula right. as the name itself. The name was great. You, and you created the name. Uh, and your company, Andrew Frank. The coffee Andrew Frank created <laughs> I, the name. Yeah. I so believe in working with people who contribute. Sure. Right? <laughs> sure. That's very kind of yeah. you to recognize him. Yeah. Necessary. Yes. Yeah. And so, Dad, I, Dad, I think your interest in coffee um, began, uh, well, you've told this story before, when you were in college and you made a trip to Panama. Is that right? That's exactly right. I, I had a, a girlfriend from college who was whoa, from whoa, the- whoa, 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 whoa. You did not and, have any girlfriends before no, mom. Not your mother. Uh, <laughs> a girlfriend who I was going to college with in Wisconsin, and she happened to be from the. She was born and raised in the Canal Zone in Panama. So when we started going out, she invited me to visit her in at her parents' home in Panama. And her father was a very prominent man. He was the Episcopal priest for the Canal Zone. And because of that, he had many connections. And we were invited one day to lunch on a coffee plantation farm. Mm -hmm. And the owner was very gracious. It was a beautiful hacienda-style home. And we had a wonderful lunch. And then after lunch, they served, of course, their own coffee. And that really was an eye-opener. It was one of the greatest cups of coffee I had ever had. And that was long before I met George. But that peaked several years before I met George. But that really piqued my interest in the whole topic of coffee. Interesting that you bring up Panama, because it's in yeah. Panama that a new variety was discovered that was simply unknown in specialty coffee or any coffee. Ah. Um it had been brought over back in the early 1930s uh, as something that would be more disease resistant, but people gave up on it because it, it was very low productivity. Uh, 
So, you know, commercially, they didn't see how it would work. But later on, in a competition that when that Panama did, very similar to Cup of Excellence, the best of Panama, uh, one farmer, La Esmeralda, uh, basically uh, picked this one variety, separated it from all the other from all the other varieties that they had and presented that into the competition and they floored the uh, the judges with this coffee mm. completely wow. different flavor note uh, and suddenly uh, the price of that coffee I think over the in the first year went over a hundred dollars a pound uh, as it was bid Whoa. for around the world and since then prices have gone substantially higher than that so you're talking already entering the world of wines for this kind of thing oh my so right. it's something i can't afford to drink anymore uh, no. yeah the very best yeah i mean for les Medalda, i'm paying anywhere 50 100 dollars plus uh for for the really the very finest mm. right processed variety geisha well, Dad, I, I have a guy, so I think I could probably get you uh... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do. But the geisha variety, it's not the only one, but it is the most floral. It's explosive well, in terms of the, the aromatics that it has. Mm. Uh, and is Esmeralda the name of the varietal? No. Uh, geisha no. is. Oh, geisha yeah. is the variety. And it's frequently oh. uh, uh, spelled just like from Japan with an I mm-hmm. in it, although mm-hmm. I prefer the actual uh, Ethiopian name because that's where it originally came from, Ethiopia, oh, the birthplace uh-huh. of, of Arabica coffee, right? Uh, yes. From an area called Geisha without an I, G-E-S-H-A, right? Well, e- ah. Mm-hmm. ah, okay. And I prefer okay. that. It's that way. It's not sexual. It's not anything. It's about the coffee. Right. Right. Well, after I, I guess shortly after I met you, or possibly even before, I had tasted some Ethiopian Yurgachev, but I think yeah. that was well after you and I first met. Right. And I and I see that you have something called Ethiopian Borboya as well. Uh, did, did. Uh, uh-huh. Unfortunately, that sort of petered out a number of years ago uh, and arrived, and um, it had been tampered with before it came to us, and we could not even sell it. What does that what does that mean? That on its way, uh, somewhere in Ethiopia it got mixed with other coffees. Mm-hmm. Right? Ooh. And you could just tell. Uh, and that was that. I've never been able to get it again in terms of that kind of quality. So they <laughs> sold it as as single origin or as whatever it was supposed to be, but then uh, it, it had been mixed, so they were trying to knock it off. Yeah, well I don't know who they is. I don't know. No. <laughs> I don't I doubt what it was for boy itself. But it could have been. Well, it's the it's the pirates. Uh, that's it's right. The pirates. Exactly. We just I I really to this day don't know exactly what happened, but I know that suddenly the availability of that coffee has just disappeared. Uh, but you still products. have. But you still have. Yeah, we still have. Oh yeah, we still have great Ethiopians right now. Oh, yeah. uh, it's yeah. uh, a, a mill called Guduba, which is very close to where mm-hmm. um, the Borboya was. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, yeah, so, and the Ethiopian that you tried was itself really radically uh, floral compared to other coffees around yes, the world. very, right? very much so. Milder, exactly. but more floral, yeah. uh, jasmine, yeah. that kind of thing. Really mm-hmm. surprising yeah. to people. 
And George, I, I want to talk about um, how you became interested in coffee. Um, mm -hmm. But before that, we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You got it. We all know how hot the espresso martini is these days. Well, why not include a quality vodka to up your espresso martini game? Van Gogh Double Espresso Vodka, distilled three times with high-quality espresso beans and natural cane sugar, is all you need to add some liquid art to your repertoire. Follow at Van Gogh Vodka on Instagram and hashtag GoCreate. Van Gogh Vodka is imported by 375 Park Ave Spirits, Louisville, Kentucky. Please enjoy responsibly. And we're back. Uh, George, I, I'm sure everyone would like to know. I, I definitely would like to know. How, how did this interest in coffee come about? Yeah, like some other people in the very beginning of specialty coffee, uh, you know, I didn't study business. I was studying history of art and philosophy, <laughs> uh, you know, mm -hmm. and I became very involved in the early 70s with artwork from in, uh, an indigenous uh, group. Uh, in Mexico and started exhibiting their art uh, first on the West Coast where I was living at the time. Uh, and, uh, and then later I came to uh, Boston to exhibit that art. But you're talking early 1970s and the kind of very frankly racism that I ran into regarding that and the insistence on looking at it as folklore uh, and something that belonged in your kid's bedroom as opposed to being considered seriously as an original piece, all of that was out the door. Um, you know. And even today, despite a lot of um, strides in the right direction, that still exists to some degree. But in any case, um, when I came to, to, to Boston, I was exhibiting to some degree, uh, but... Um, what we noticed was that the coffee in Boston was dreadful. It really was like painted wood pellets ground into sawdust. And that's uh, what it tasted just, like. Just watered, flavorless, watered down. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then there was one place that was supposedly selling specialty with open barrels, you know, showing you all the different beans that all look pretty much alike with different names <laughs> to them. And uh, later on, when I decided to get into coffee, that the person selling that coffee came to our place to maybe sell us his coffee for us to roast and basically said, hey, here's a Brazil, here's a Colombian. And then you would get some Central Americans and I can blend them every which way. And you got Jamaican Blue Mountain, you got Kenya, you got all these other coffees because there's really no difference. Right. And so. But that's another story, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but in essence, one, we really wanted great coffee. There wasn't any. So we had seen the success of specialty coffee in the Berkeley, San Francisco area where I was living in the early 70s with Pete's and, uh, and other cafes and roasteries there. And so we said, okay, we're going to create our own coffee place, right? Coffee Connection was born. My wife came up with that name instant saying, yeah, that's, that's exactly the right name. Um, and, uh, you know, and by putting up a, a, a cafe and you saw that Jeff, uh, we were able to exhibit the art on the walls. So right in the middle of Harvard square with all yes. the university students and all the rest of it, this art was visible and played a really great role in terms of, uh, really bringing in funding, uh, to to this indigenous group 
and also recognition for their art. Um, mm. And it was it was creating creating an experience for the guests coming 100%, in. One hundred percent. That's exactly right. And so I've always yeah. mixed aesthetics from mm. the music to the art and so on with the coffee to create an environment that is cultural, that invites people to relate with one another. I can't tell you how many people still to this day say, do you know we got married thanks to Coffee Connection? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that's where they met. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. It was a student, it was, was a student it was hangout. It's, I met my wife at the li library of the Sorbonne <laughs> in Paris, and I'm Bingo. sure a lot of couples met at the Coffee exactly. Connection. Was, was, the, um, yeah. was the preparation of the coffee at Coffee Connection um, I assume it was more unique than than other basic coffee shops. Yes. It, were, were you using were you using yeah. you know state of the art espresso machines and no were you doing pour over? No, no not at, number one. There wasn't state of the art yet <laughs> back mm -hmm. in the seventies. Uh, really, it started with drip. We had an espresso machine, but I didn't really focus on espresso until much later on with Coffee Connection. Um, so we served it, but without that focus that I would put on later. Uh, it was the drip really, uh, and French press. So one of the mm -hmm. things, one of the innovations the Coffee Connection yeah. did was if we had 20 coffees for sale, beans, right? We had, you could try any one of the 20 coffees on the spot with a French press, right? Mm -hmm. And the French press was great because it allowed you to brew very quickly individual cups for people. Uh, who came in. So we had it in an urn for people who wanted to quickly get their coffee and go. And then we also had it in the French press for those who really wanted a treat and a heavier, richer beverage. Right. And for, for me, one of the unique elements of the coffee connection was the yeah. roasting that this, I, that's where I learned about city right. roast, full city roast, French yeah. roast, Italian roast. It's, because of George that I know all of those things. And I fell in love with, I guess it was the full right. city roast and thought the coffees roasted that way were just incredibly exactly. delicious and complex showing all their full flavor without. Yeah. Getting well, we, we gave up with, we uh, gave up on that over the board, roasting. Uh, full, uh, full city um, because it was basically taken over mm -hmm. by people who were roasting far darker than we were. Uh, and so right. today, right. Uh, really, we call it a light roast. And with George Howell coffee, mm -hmm. we do, you know, light, medium and dark. Right. But our darkest roast is nowhere near the kind of French roast that other places do. Right. So is it. A and you opened you opened your first coffee shop in 2012. Right? No. Under George Howell. Uh, well, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, it was no. around 2012. Sorry. Uh, we actually opened up an earlier mm -hmm. one called Copa Cafe in Lexington Center in 2003, but that was a mm -hmm. full-blown restaurant, which was way ahead of its time. We were serving small plates, wow. right, wow. and wine and so mm -hmm. on. Uh, women loved the small plates, and men absolutely could not handle it. It was very interesting. I love myself so a what, good small plate. It, what, well, they wanted their big spaghetti plate or whatever it was. Mm. Lots of it in one thing. <laughs> so that restaurant did right. not did not focus on coffee. Right. Then. And so then, yeah, so yeah. it took a number of okay. years of doing wholesale only for me to open up a cafe oh. the way mm. I wanted to. 
And am I am I not mistaken mistaken in um, the fact that the longer you roast beans, the less caffeine there is in it? Actually, is that's it? a myth. It's a myth. A complete myth. Very little uh-huh. caffeine is roasted uh-huh. out of the coffee. One. Ah. Two. Even if there is a little bit more caffeine that is withdrawn from each bean, the fact of the matter is that if you take a pound of light roast and a pound of French roast, you will see that the pound of French roast is almost double the size of the light roast because so much of what's in each bean has been removed by that dark roast, right? Okay. If you were to continue roasting, you'd have cinders only and it would weigh nothing at all. Right. That's uh-huh. the progression that you're into here. So in essence, I see. there's a whole lot less caffeine maybe in every bean, but you're using that much you're using more, more of it to way more. Add to that's right. Exactly I see. Right. I see. That's very interesting. I, I didn't know that. So with, with light roast, lighter roasted coffee, you're using fewer beans that's in correct. general, yielding the liquid that's versus right. usually utilizing more beans to yield the same amount of liquid. Exactly basically. right. They have an, what we get from that lighter roast are flavors that simply disappear as you get darker because you add more and more roast mm-hmm. caramel roasted flavors to what's in the mm-hmm. core of the bean, which can be floral, which can have a number of notes that simply become more and more shaded into darkness. Because in effect, you're burning yep, the that's beans. where you go. Right. When you get a French roast, if it's really fresh, uh, what you'll see is that they're bleeding. The oils are bleeding through the broken cells to the surface, right? And they will, um, they lose their flavor uh, much more quickly than do lighter roasts. Geez, there's so much, there's so much education needed for folks, I think, uh, with coffee specifically, you know, because it's such a, it's such a natural thing to have every morning and you know, I'd say the majority of Americans have coffee, but they don't know what they're drinking, you know, and that's right. The, the people and people say, oh, well, I'm going to have a light roast uh, because I don't want too much caffeine. It's the middle of the day. Yeah, that's and a another mistake. person saying, <laughs> right. And then another person saying, yeah. oh, I, I'm going to have a dark roast because light roasts have more coffee, uh, more caffeine than dark roast, you know? Right. Um, and by the way, dark roasters generally will use the word and Starbucks uses it all the time is rich. Right, rich, uh, and yes, um, yes. right. Instead Bold of and rich, those are the two words. Right. A dark <laughs> roast is very right. aggressive when it's hot. You can taste it immediately. Right, it's got that coffee flavor the second you take it, no matter how hot it is. Uh, to my mind, it's best when it's hot, and as it cools, to me, it becomes more. Um, just mucked up, not, not clear. Right. Uh, and, uh, was a, a light roast can seem kind of mild when it's very hot and it's as it's cooling that the flavors really develop. Uh, and it's only at about 135 degrees yeah. Fahrenheit that you get all the flavors. So it's more like a glass of wine that's opening. And you taught, I remember you taught me that a, you you can even wait until the coffee mm-hmm. turns cold and retaste it, and a really good, right. well roasted coffee will ha- be just as yes. flavorful 
cold ah, as it is when it's warm. Well, even now, so. that's how to make great iced coffee, yeah. by the way. There are, you can go to Amazon or to our mm-hmm. place, um, and I forget the name of the brewer, but it's basically uh, like 99 rods uh, that, that sit into a plastic um, uh, pitcher, right? And you keep that in the freezer. Uh, so when you brew your hot coffee, you then put it mm-hmm. in that jug, you drop these rods in that are frozen and within a minute and a half, it's down to about 38 degrees from the 200, oh, wow. right? Immediately. And now you have an iced coffee that blows away anything you have ever tried as an iced right. coffee. Not uh, undiluted, Very, you know, uh, no additional dilution. Right. No di- extra dilution. Precisely right. Very different from what's popular now, the cold brew, which to me is very beer-like. Wow. Uh, removes the terroir completely mm. uh yeah. and you know it's yeah. a just it that's uh, a, a kind of signature beverage that is sold because it's supposedly less acidic because you're brewing it using only cold water but yeah it, it's like saying you don't want an acidic strawberry or something without the acidity the strawberry is deader than a doornail <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, exactly. There's, there's no, nothing there's no left body left. You know, the, this yeah. thing that's missed. Yeah. The thing that's needed is there's sweetness. No As something gets riper, it gets sweeter, which balances the acidity, and that's where the pleasure comes from. It's the delivery, yeah. right? I have never been impressed. I've never been impressed Correct. with cold brew coffee. I know there's one subject yes. that we must cover uh, during this episode, and that's uh, the yeah, cup of yeah. excellence right. that you were involved in. From 1994 to uh, sorry, 1997 yeah. to 1999, um, focusing you your efforts right. were focused on Brazil right. and Brazilian coffee. Can you tell us? And this is it was a United yeah, Nations. Yeah, it was a National Coffee well. Association that was in London and uh, in the United Nations that really uh, developed this plan. And I yeah. was hired by Brazil to be their co- quality consultant, and with the idea of really getting coffee to be out of the commodity world where people, farmers were just losing money year after year, many times because the price was often below the, the, the cost of production, right? So how did farmers who were quality driven, how could they get out of this uh, really bad situation? Um, at the end of that, I came up with the idea of creating a, an international competition bringing in roasters, coffee roasters from around the world. The first a jury of about 20, 24 jurors that would come. The first set came in late 99, and they were from Japan, from Sweden, no, Norway, rather, uh, Italy, France, uh, and then the United States as well, and Canada. Uh, and they came there for an entire week to taste the very best carefully selected lots from farmers who entered into that. We had 300 contestants in the beginning. And uh, that first time, that first uh, uh, competition, we reduced it down to 10 winners that got over 80 points scores. Uh, And uh, we then auctioned the coffee and that was the first internet uh, internet coffee auction in the world, right, That, that went in. So it was the first competition in the world like that and the first uh, auction. Uh, and these were then roasters from around the world who bid for the green unroasted coffee at, at that origin, right? 
Mm. Um, and achieved, and so they did achieve higher, much higher prices, 30, 40% higher than the normal market price that a Brazilian coffee would have gotten. Over the years, they learned that by making the lots smaller, they can produce higher qualities and get higher prices because, especially because specialty coffee was all about small roasters, not large ones. They couldn't afford to pay for really large amounts of coffee at $10 or whatever, where you're getting 10,000, 20,000 pounds, that's a massive expense. But when you whittle it down to a thousand pounds or whatever, now you can pay $50 a pound, right? That kind of thing. So it really, uh, it really brought a lot of, of farmers to the, to the attention of roasters around the world. Uh, they would go to Cup of Excellence, uh, taste, declare the winners at the end of that week, and then many people would then go visit those farms and establish relationships with them. So this was a huge opening to the coffee world, uh, especially younger people starting to roast. Uh, and there's a book um, called um, God in a Cup, right that was written about that where uh three key key roasters um from Stumptown Intelligentsia and Counterculture leave Coffee Connection to visit those winning farms and to this day those companies are selling farms that won cup of excellence right yes um, wow yeah and so this is spread and between and between your efforts in the 1970s right. with the Coffee Connection and this Cup of Excellence project, which you were intimately involved with, we now have a That's coffee revolution. That's the idea. What we need now, really, for the farmer's point of view, is less blends and more single farm, uh, you know, coffees, right? And that does require people actually having some curiosity to get out of the habit of adding milk and drinking it black. Uh, so yeah. I yeah. often invite people right. before you put the milk in, just taste it black first. Mm. And, Tough know, habit to kick. <laughs> exactly right. But 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 that was Alfred Pete's fault. <laughs> I won't get into that. Right? If I remember the story correctly. <laughs> From Pete's well, coffee. Yeah. Because, yes, he decided to over-roast his coffee because he knew Americans It's would amazing how many people love Pete's to this day. Yeah. So... Oh, yeah. Um, be, yeah with yeah. the last couple minutes yeah. that we have, George, yeah. speaking of books, uh, you have a uh, are you working on a book? If we, yeah, if, I do want to do one. That... Absolutely. Yeah, you do. OK. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot I want to say, uh, <laughs> you know, if you want quality coffee down the road, you know, it's more than just commodity. And uh, it's just it's a real discovery to notice suddenly that you really like black coffee. Right. That's. People settle into their comfort yes. zone yes. with the lattes and so mm. on. Um, you know, when I travel, when I get on the airplane, you think I'm drinking black coffee? Hell no. I'm putting milk in it because it's the only way I can well, drink that's, it. Well, that's good, right. to, of course. that's good to know. So if it's crappy coffee, you put the milk of course. in it. Without even, then it becomes without a even habit. Well, then it becomes a habit, a comfort. You have to. Right? And you don't change. Right. Yeah, you have bad and, coffee, you add milk. Uh, then no you have the person around. whose eyes no. suddenly no. open up, like you. They become woke. 
Sorry, I shouldn't use that word. It's not what its meaning is, but. (laughs) Circle. (laughs) Oh, but let's say awakened. awakened. We should use that word. Coffee senses were awakened. That's right. And yeah, so people do go. You know, I we're often I, when I uh, invite people to take some black coffee at home, they ask me if I put sugar in the coffee because it's so much sweeter than anything they expected. Yeah. Ah, right? yeah. And by the way, when you right. brew coffee, black yeah. coffee has no sugar and yet it can taste very sweet, which still mystifies yes. scientists yes. as to <laughs> what is producing that. It's clearly a mm-hmm. mix of more than 1,000 different different molecular flavors uh, that go into it. It's the most complex beverage known to humankind, is my understanding, (laughs) by a long shot. Well, well, George, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. I I can't believe we we were able to – I can't believe you were able to book George, Dad. (laughs) Hey. Oh, I, I, it's been years that I've been wanting to do this podcast. And as soon as we created the podcast, what did I say to you? I said, one, you know, of course we want to do spirits and cocktails, but the, oh. the I said the next, the first before thing I want to go, do outside be, of spirits and cocktails is coffee go, with George Howell. beg people to, when they've opened their, their bag, right, of quality coffee and they brew their first amount, the rest they yes. need to Ziploc tight. And they should freeze it. They right. should freeze wow. it. Unlike what so many specialty freeze. people and companies have said, don't freeze coffee. They don't know what they're talking about. And the world champion, the United States champion has used frozen coffee to brew the espressos that won him that award. And so huh. has the world barista champion as well. Totally and, and I'm frozen. assuming that's... And you don't need to warm it up or anything else. You literally no. take that frozen coffee, grind it. It will be a more even grind because it's more brittle. Because the colder it is, the more brittle it is. It shot. Right? It probably shocks. It shocks the bean. It's the brittleness, and it's, it's the the, oh, the, okay. the the way the grind oh. then is more even. So you don't get under and over extracted beans. Mm. You get more of an even brew mm. from your coffee. Interesting, and it does it better. Uh, right. And you don't have to worry about smells from the freezer, for God's sake, uh, you know, or condensation right. if you have it ziplocked. Right. It's the only way to go. Right. Well, uh, that, that's a, that's an awesome tip. Thank you so much again, George. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, George. It's been an honor and Anytime, a great pleasure Jeff, to have John. you on. Thank Good you talking so much. to you. Tipple Time is brought to you in part by Monin and Van Gogh Double Espresso Vodka. Uh, Hey, everyone. It is yet again uh, another segment of Tipple Time. Tipple Time is when I make you a cocktail and I talk about that cocktail with some of my favorite products. It's really simple, actually. Um, Now, you've probably had an espresso martini, but have you had a hibiscus espresso martini? Oh, my gosh. Guys, you could be very creative with a simple cocktail like an espresso martini, which is super hot these days, as you probably know. And we're sticking with this coffee theme and adding a little bit of a twist, somewhat seasonal, kind of all year round, actually. Um, we're actually going to use this Monin hibiscus syrup. And Monin makes amazing, delectable, bold syrups uh, that are great for the professional mixologist as well as the at-home mixologist. Um, really delicious in cocktails. So many different flavors. You should check out uh, their website. We'll post that over here. And we're also using 
Ah, I, I know and I love this product. I've used it for many, many years, the Van Gogh Double Espresso Vodka. It's bold and brilliant and really, um, it's a blank canvas when it comes to experimenting with Van Gogh Double Espresso. They have other Van Gogh flavors as well. Enough of this chatter. Let's go ahead and make our drink. So I'm, I'm jiggering out two ounces of the Van Gogh Double Espresso Vodka into my mixing glass. You'll see I'm using a Boston shaker. That's the mixing glass and the mixing tin. We are doing uh, half of an ounce of the Monin hibiscus syrup. Uh, it's really nice. It will add a kind of a rich color that works really well with espresso. And uh, some espresso from my local coffee shop that I just went out and bought. It, it took a lot for me to not chug this uh, beforehand. Ah, it smells great. And we'll just add that directly into the mixing glass. And I have my ice already in the shaker tin part. All right, you heard that? Yep. We're gonna give it a nice shake. I always say shake it awake, don't rock it to sleep. You've probably heard me say that before. Shall I? Okay, let's do it. Oh, nothing better than the sound of shaking, right? And if you see me at home, you can see my shaker face. I always love, I always love telling people to pay attention to your shaker face and other shaker faces. Well, uh, we all know a martini is traditionally served in a martini glass, but I'm actually not. I'm changing it up. So technically this is not a martini, okay? But I'm still gonna call it my hibiscus espresso martini. You'll see a big uh, rock, a big clear ice cube in an old fashioned glass or a rocks glass. And I'm just straining that out. Ooh, love that color. It has kind of a hint of uh, magenta and that crema on top. Ooh. Love, love, love. Uh, this is some freshly grated nutmeg that I'm just going to add on top. Oh my goodness, guys. Let me just whisper about this for a second. Dad would love the uh, ASMR. This is a delicious, no, I'm not, I, I, I just can't. Okay, I smell it and I get that delicious nutmeg, a little hint of coffee. I'm just gonna give it a little bit of a taste, okay? Oh, you know, Van Gogh Double Espresso, works so well in any espresso martini, really any coffee-based cocktail. And the Monin hibiscus adds this little interesting fruit-forward twist to this drink. And then the nutmeg, it all balances really well together. Well, coffee, I love it. This has been Tipple Time. I'm Jonathan. Uh, thank you so much. Hope to see you again very, very soon. Cheers. Tipple Time is brought to you in part by Van Gogh Double Espresso Vodka and Monin. That does it for today's show. If you enjoy what we do, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also support the show with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. Just click on the donate button at the top of our website and choose your donation amount. To learn more about future guests, visit www.thecocktailgurupodcast.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. Cocktail Guru Podcast is produced by First Real Entertainment and distributed by Eats Drinks TV, a service of the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.